2: Here's a message from friends of the show.
3: What if I told you there is a world where not only are monsters like vampires and werewolves real, but they have rights just like you and me. And in this world, there exists a secret government organization dedicated to keeping you safe and making sure they follow the rules. Welcome to Anarium a Monster of the Week podcast. Each episode, you will follow the story of three agents of Anaria, played by Rob Hamilton, Taylor Catron, and Cameron Baker, as they navigate through the treacherous world that Game Master Samuel Herbert has imagined for you. Tune in on Spotify, iTunes, or whatever your preferred podcast platform is. It's dangerous out there, folks. So, remember, leave the monster hunting to us the professionals. Welcome
2: everybody to today's episode. So we've got another really incredible interview coming to you today, but we'll introduce our guest in just a moment. But before we get into that, uh, Mr. Myers, Mr. Miller, good evening. Welcome. Nice to see you again in our like normal, like Tuesday night, nine o'clock recording slot. This is nice. Right. Like there's been some weird recording times lately. It's nice to be in our regular spot. So
4: It's funny how... Tuesday became a normal recording
2: spot. Just
4: <laughs> all has. of a sudden, on its own. Not really all of a sudden. Slowly but surely over time, it's just boop, yeah. become one. But yeah. Yeah. it really has. But I'm doing great. It's been a pretty good day down here, though it's now turning yicky out. That's right. I'm staying home. Yeah. But had a fantastic week doing revisions and updates and lore pieces for our current project.
2: I know, I'll be so I thought that you were absolutely nuts the other day when you said that our next book, the book that's coming out after our Kickstarter campaign was going to be bigger than our last book. And the more and more that I look over that list and the more and more that I look over the content that we've written, you are absolutely freaking right and uh, that's just kind of the way the cookie crumbles. But really, for real, like I was like, "Oh no, come on." Like that that Yeah. <laughs> Travel's Guide to the Multiverse was almost 70 pages long. No way we're going to hit that. Yeah, we're going to hit yeah, that. Yeah, no, this End will speed. be over 100. I'm be over 100 100 for sure. sure.
0: Yeah. So. I am con- I'm convinced of it. I myself have been doing very similar things, getting ready. Part of that getting ready is preparing for EllisCon, which we're going to. That'll have Ooh, happened this weekend. The By the That'll have happened in the past by the time the episode airs. But- uh,
4: timey-wimey, but it's actually in the future right now, but it's really <laughs> in, in your past. For us. Exactly. It's- right. <laughs> yeah. The doctor's going to show up any minute.
0: I hope so. (laughs) That would be awesome. Any of them, any of them. Preferably Tom Tom Baker or Tennis. I stick with any of them. But I will go with any of them. But yeah, so I mean, I've been doing a lot of the same things, working on content, been going through, hitting some of the edit points, basically touching up those things that have come out, playtesting and commentary and the edits that we've been talking about and working on. But As importantly, is working on the adventure hooks. That's where Uh, my focus uh, has been. And specifically, the adventure that I'm going to be running at EllisCon is based on one of those hooks. So you've got playtesting for those coming up as well. And as I understand, all three of us at EllisCon will be running adventures that are going to be in part or in part of this project. So big playtest weekend coming up for the (sighs) kickstarter.
4: Yep. I am running a playtest at LSCon, but just to make sure that we're clear for anybody listening who winds up with the book, the one I'm running at EllisCon is not going to be in this book because it's right, not it's a hook. It's a yeah. full. It's going to become a fully published independent uh, adventure. But we're about, we're on our fourth play
2: test, so yeah, you might see we recorded at least one. Yeah,
4: an actual play or an actual release date for One Crazy Night in Water Deep earlier, ish in the new year.
2: That'd be nuts. That'd be crazy. Yep. Yep. But, Without any further ado, let us let us quit with our our kibitzing back and forth here, and introduce our guest tonight. I first ran into Adam when we were first doing like our big Twitter pushes for our Kickstarter that was running along. When you're doing the self promo Saturday threads, there are certain people that you see come up every single time, and I first saw Adam Adam Eason from the Dungeonator uh, sending out posts every week about new multi class character concepts and the narrative that he was tying together with those. And I was like, man, you know what? We have got to get this guy on the show. He is brilliant. His content is fantastic. And I want to pick his brain about where all this stuff is coming from. So Adam Eason, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. I am totally chuffed to have you on tonight's show.
4: Yeah, Yeah, definitely welcome,
0: Adam. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure to have you.
2: So I know I gave a little bit of an introduction as far as why you're here and everything like that, but for, for... our listeners who haven't yet found the Dungeon Dungeonator. What is the Dungeonator all about?
5: Most of what I focus on is writing lore, writing kind of the fiction behind the role playing. And to do that, I'm keeping a blog. Just every week, puts at least something out. So the main project, the multi-class factions, exactly what you said, taking a pair of classes from Dungeons & Dragons, smushing them together, and trying to figure out what kind of group might represent that combination of whatever those two classes are. I also sometimes put out NPCs or short stories or whatever, but that's the general approach at the moment is mostly what's the fiction of it and what are the stories? How do we create the stories for an RPG? Yeah.
2: I could just talk about how great I think your content is all night, but that's really not what this is going to be. (laughs) I'll I'll take it. Go on. Exactly. Yeah. Shower me with flattery. No, please stop. Yeah. But that was one of the things that really Mm -hmm. drew me to your content is that Mm -hmm. the three of us are very much story over rules kind of storytellers and game masters. We really want to focus on the narrative that's being told. We want to focus on the player experience and all that sort of stuff. And so it really seemed like your story first or narrative first approach to the content really jived with what we try to do at the table and there's so much interesting material on your site to go Absolutely. through like for one there's a ton of it which is always great to go that there's just so much content but also so much of it is so good that i'm really going to have a good time tonight to diving into what's up here all right gentlemen i think it is initiative time let's sub uh, d20s to the ready and let's see uh, see who gets what that is a natural one for me so not me
0: I too have a natural one. Oh boy! Wow, <laughs> Glenn takes it with that a happen. thirteen. All right, Leonie can give me a second to roll to see who goes second. Yeah, and then next time we both roll at disadvantage.
2: Yeah, I rolled another natural one, so I'm I'm sucking it up tonight. Rolling <laughs> Just, hot tonight.
0: Woo! This is, I, this. I got a 19 on that one. All right.
2: So Glenn, you'll so, lead us off, and then Lee Monique goes next. I'm throwing my own. From that the dialogue.
0: bottom to the
4: top. No worries. Sometimes scoring the first question is hot. It can be low hanging fruit, but, it, but this particular question is one of my favorites because it'll, again, speak to that introduction piece right here at the front. So. Once upon a time, all of us were kids who had never role-played before. And then somewhere along the way, between point A and point B, we've become semi-professional role-players and people semi-professionally involved in content creation of Dungeons & Dragons and other other systems. So how did you get from point A to point B? Give us kind of your origin story, where you started with role-playing, how it developed, and then what made you decide that, hey i'm gonna start a blog open up a website and do this thing
5: yeah i think i had been an off and on kind of role player i started maybe a few years after i finished college had my first taste of i think it was 3.5 is what that table was playing i had no idea what was going on i still don't know like That whole experience is just a wash of stuff happening, but it was a good time.
4: An app's description of college years in general.
5: (laughs) Yes, very much. It was a good time, and I eventually started my own campaign with my own friends. I guess professional life, I'm a musician, a music teacher by trade, and that can be pretty rough and ready. So sometimes things like playing games with friends would drop off a little bit, but then COVID happened. One of my big sources of income, which was as a teaching assistant for a kind of music school sort of thing, that collapsed. And I found myself then with, what do I do with my time? And I hopped on Twitter. I saw the TTRPG sphere seemed to be a hopping thing. And my family was, you should do game stuff. You like <laughs> games, you play a lot of games, you. Like to write, just do game stuff. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm doing game stuff, and <laughs> that got me started. That's awesome. That's nice. excellent.
4: I love it. We all wound up professional lives. Just do that. Having that lull where work gets in the way and you can't make your weekly games, and you wind up dropping them. And the next thing you know, you haven't talked to your role play buddies in two years. And then you get back or into it for a bit. Yeah, or more. So definitely feeling your story and relating to it quite a bit as you went and. Kudos for stepping up and stepping out because that's what a lot of people out there are talking about doing still. And the only way to do it is to just do it, do it.
0: Yeah, and I too, and I'm not going to step on Josh's toes, I uh, really feel your story quite a bit. Josh is going to talk more about the music that as your background, but I can tell you, one, being a person who loves music and just recently signed on as the singer for a blues band.
4: Congratulations loved, again, my friend. Nice.
0: Thank you. Love the thought of, of people in this sphere coming from a musical background. There's something about the creativity of musicians that speaks to me obviously, but also speaks to the game and the TTRPG community. In my estimation, art is art. Whatever, Whether you're painting, sculpting, whatever your version of art is, it's a creative endeavor. And I think that's what my work life was missing, was that creative piece. And I am much happier in my day job because I can satisfy my creative nature with this. Preach. Um, <laughs> Preach. Absolutely. That's just a fact. I envy those who are doing it full time. That's something that we aspire to because being creative full time would, to me, be the, it would be the ultimate just to be able to be creative. And then so that my band isn't my third gig, it'll be my second gig. That would be perfect.
5: (laughs) Right. Yeah, for sure. That is, I think, the dream making this a full-time thing. But I don't know. My My own brain is very restless and I have a difficult time imagining myself settling into any one thing and, uh, and sticking with it. But we'll see.
4: That's okay. Because one of the things that COVID and the way that things evaporated out from under some people also taught me that I don't necessarily want all of my income stream eggs in the same basket anymore. So having your finger in a number of pies is not a bad way to go.
5: Yeah, yeah. And the music industry is very much like that. You just have to cobble it together.
0: I love the fact that you are doing the narrative pieces. It is so unique and unusual that you have just the narrative bits in the TTRPG space and not all the mechanical bits up front. Generally, folks lead with the mechanics and then have the narrative bits as flavor text. The magic card syndrome would be a way to describe that. Right. Uh, and I find the fact that you're leading with the narrative to be really strong and very cool. I guess my question is twofold. One, was it a conscious decision or just the way the muse took you? And two, you said that you built some NPCs here or there, but but clearly the focus is on these narratives and and, and such. But is there a Is this all in one world or is this all split into multiple worlds?
5: Okay. The first part, did I just fall into it or was that a conscious decision to be more lore forward? I think it's a bit of both. When I started the blog, I actually started with the idea I was going to do an adventure writing blog so from start to finish here's the seed of the idea for the adventure and then here's how we're going to flesh it out and then here are these bits and pieces it ended up being way too complicated (laughs) so Mm. that got replaced with something more along the lines of building these factions building these kind of group pieces that players might interact with the big draw for me to play role-playing games is the story. And I'm thinking back at the experiences I've had, which were really memorable. And some of them involved the mechanics, but a lot of it came from one of the players at my table just coming completely out of left field with a decision. And then as a game master, trying to figure out what am I going to do with that? And In a related note, a lot of the games that I feel like my table had the most fun with were games that the mechanics were a little bit less forward-focused. We had a good time like with Fate Core and also Savage Lands. We did Deadlands, which, I mean, it's got some meat to it, but it's a little bit more pared back compared to some systems. So I think it, it was just a personal inclination that happened to lead me down that path towards the story element. The intent is that these are going to be factions that I'm turning into supplements, slowly but surely, that you can do a sort of drag and drop situation. If you feel like, hey, this is a faction that I feel like could fit in my game really well, then the way I'm trying to write these supplements is in a way where it would be open-ended enough that it could find a way to fit into your world. That said, now that I'm writing the third supplement, I am starting to see, hey, there are ways I can connect these different factions that I've already got in interesting ways. I don't know that it will necessarily become like a fully fleshed out world, but there is a sort of self-referential thing that's starting to build up. As I write, that's
4: fantastic too, because then the further your reach of factions goes, even in your older publications, you can start nesting in those connections that help point your customers, your fans, your players, and storytellers to actions that would work really well with each other. So if they find this one that they really like, and there you can have, hey, this one will work really well with this one this way, et cetera. And that would be fantastic.
0: Or these two are perfect in opposition. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's one of the things that I love, honestly, about the way that you're putting together, particularly the subclass combinations, is just the way that they were all faction based and the amount of detail that you put into. Not just here's how you would build a, here's how you would build a bard barbarian, right? That's, us pick these, make sure that these are your stats, and make sure that these are the feats that you pick, and everything like that. It had nothing to do with the mechanics of it at all. It was almost entirely story driven, and what would a bard barbarian look like, and that kind of thing. So that's honestly what I love most about it. And, yeah,
5: for sure. Uh,
2: and as Luanika predicted, of course, I'm going to go ahead and talk about the music, about your musician background. So, if you've never listened to the show, you may not know that I also have a, my background in music. My bachelor's and my master's are both in composition, so music is a big deal for me. And I see on your Kofi page that you are playing either like a roundback guitar or an actual lute. And I'm also a medievalist as as well. So I wanted to get into. So, what is your musician background? What is that background I have to go ahead and tie it into the content that we're talking about? How do you feel like your background in music is influenced by or influences the writing? that you're doing now?
5: Alas, the lute is a fiction. <laughs> yeah, I figured. Yeah, I, I thought uh, there were only six strings. <laughs> the, the portrait that I have was part of a payment for a commission, a writing commission, through a group called the GUI Cube. <laughs> I got to basically make an NPC, and so I made a bard kind of character. And they take a photograph of you, and they turn it into a, a painted portrait. My actual instrument is the cello. And that's been pretty much the focus since high school. I think I was decided I was pretty dedicated towards continuing that. And more recently, I've started picking up the Koto, the Japanese harp. My maternal grandmother was Japanese. And when I moved to Portland, Oregon, I learned there was a Kotokai, a Koto group, and the leader was offering lessons. So I was like, why not? Let's give this a try. And it's pretty interesting. Get to learn to read music with the Japanese, I guess it's technically Chinese characters with the kanji numbers, which is just a completely different headspace from reading from the kind of Western notation.
0: Wow.
2: Fascinating. Yeah, no, that was a euphonium. Learning player, music in another language is cool. Yeah. That is bizarre too. What is... Uh, totally unrelated, but is is the notation system even like analogous, or is it is the notation system totally different too? Yeah, no,
5: it's completely different. It's yeah, more cool. the closest I can the closest analog I can think of is like a guitar tablature,
2: right? Tablature, uh, yeah, okay. yeah.
5: So yeah. there's or even lute tablature. Honestly, yeah. there's the thirteen strings of the koto, and then they divide up the the measures with little boxes, and then they write which string you play in the box at that time. So. That's super cool.
0: It's amazing. I played violin for a very short time in elementary school, and I find anybody who plays string instruments to be just amazing to me because it is there's so much coordination that goes into it. That and that's where I really failed. (laughs) Failed is probably not the best word. I have not. I have. It was an opportunity. And I have not yet succeeded because (laughs) in my life, I've owned like six guitars I've done. I've had like four or five different learn to play guitars. Josh even helped me tune a couple of them at one point in the past. I tried to. One of those guitars was really not worth tuning. It was pretty poor, but I gave it a try and I got to a point where I could actually do Smoke on the Water a piece. But I find the coordination between what your fingers need to be doing and how you're strumming and then separately if you have to then read music to play it like that that's just a lot all at once and so i'm just amazed by that
5: it takes a lot of training this is for (laughs) this is very true yeah yeah Yeah. and cello is no easy feat either that's
2: like that's a that's that takes some takes some work cool all right, I guess that puts us up to round two, doesn't it? And round hold the two. Disadvantage. I know I, I have. Uh, yeah, I have switched die, so hopefully I can roll something over a one. Like Dude, that's natural pretty for reals. Reels. All
0: right, that's a five for me. I got a twelve on one and a thirteen on the other. Yeah. So I'm going Excellent. to. Right. At least I'm out of the hole.
2: This is. Like, I feel like I'm <laughs> yeah. far- falling out it a little bit, but uh, with
4: the not twenty, point. I'll have advantage next round. You have negative I'm negative. Going right, for yeah, all All right. Uh, so Adam, I love. That core concept, and I know we've talked about it already, but I'm going to talk about it some more of creating your factions based on subclass of across class mashups and then trying to imagine what kind of group would spring from this type of character or the work they would do. I think that is so narratively challenging and fantastic that it's not even funny. And I've, the few that I've read, because honestly, I have not had time to read all of your work yet, were also amazing so my question is which one that you've done so far is your favorite yeah. for
5: this yeah. challenge <laughs> yeah. yeah i've written 45 of these things so oh, i know That's <laughs> I'm sure that
4: you, you don't have to pick your absolute favorite you can just select a favorite
5: you don't have to go yeah. back and hang forth hang on let me get my list yeah. okay so for obvious reasons i'm very partial to any of the pairs that includes a bard i did anticipate this question a little bit I think my favorite would be what I wrote for the Bard-Monk combo. And the concept was something I don't think I've come across before, that there is a temple of people whose musical practice was inspired by a group of sentient cicada people. (laughs) <laughs> or cicada, depending on where like you're the from. The bug, yeah. yeah, yeah, the bug, <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah.
5: And this is where some of my own musical training definitely helped. I was thinking of like John Cage and Lamont Young. I think exactly one percent of your listening audience will know who I'm talking That's, about.
2: I know who you're talking about.
5: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there, the idea was part of your sort of temple. Acolyte training is done completely in silence and listening. And then the other part is through just long, sustained drone tones. Imagine going into a temple and a bunch of monks just going. And these different overlapping harmonies of these sustained tones. I think that one ended up being my favorite. So far. Yeah. As to the second part of your question, what kind of challenges arise? I've actually found that the hardest ones to write have been the ones where the classes are very similar clerics and paladins one of the big ones or uh, druids and rangers this is the one i've been puzzling through at the moment trying to figure out what to write for them and also sorcerers in general because the way they're written in dungeons and dragons lore is that sorcerers are at the very least uncommon they're not a class that just happens all the time. You walk down a street and there's sorcerers. N- no, you'd be pretty surprised to, to find one. So that's been a sticking point of sorcerers are uncommon. How are we going to get a group of them? <laughs> right. Much less a group of them that are paired with some other class element, which kind of adds a little extra rarity to the mix. Yeah. So the sorcerers have been a bit of a sticking point.
4: Okay, I could definitely see how that could be problematic. Almost like you'll have to wind up tying the faction into the lineage of an area as well whether it's a recessive gene that's common that commonly crops up in this particular area or something like that. Yeah, I could see how that could be trouble. Yeah. And having to do that for every sorcerer cross class would just get a little bit. So remember what I said last time? Same thing, but this time they do this instead.
2: <laughs>
5: but this time they're <laughs> yeah.
2: barbarians instead of
5: fighters. One, one of the sorcerer pairs, the bard-sorcerer pair, kind of actually cheated in a sort of, in, in a sense, where I was imagining kind of musical savants, Mozart-types, michael jackson types and then the faction itself just ended up being i don't know basically the music industry talent (laughs) recruitment agency going out and trying to find these rare talents
0: so i love that because i play in a 5e game that meets about twice a year three times a year tops and it's a, a campaign that is all the players are bards and we're all in a band which we are called the fifth edition. I'll take kudos for that one. Pat myself on the back because I came up with that name. I thought it was very inspiring. (laughs) But, but uh, I love that concept of a talent agency and that's recruiting a specific type of bard. It, it really smacks of the Maurice Starr, the Disney machine kind of yeah. element. We're turning this out like you're going to be the next Mickey Mouse Club or whatever the case may be. I can see that. That I really like.
2: Yeah. I love that, you're, that you mentioned your bard monk class. So the monk class that's going to be in our latest book is a mm-hmm. very bard-like monk class that's based on like tube and throat singing mm-hmm. and using – powers of their voice to go ahead through their key to go ahead, how certain effects and certain buffs and stuff like that. I had an awful lot of fun writing that one. And so the fact that your favorite was also Bard Monk is <laughs> pretty great. That's a, it's a lot. There's a lot of synergy between those two classes, more so than I thought before I cracked that nut. And so I can see how that would work it worked very well. And I will take a Marianne Cezillo reference any time of day, <laughs> uh, twice on Sunday. Not everybody can go ahead and throw out that reference, so that, that's, a, that, that's pretty great.
4: Josh was nodding over there with his eyes wide and bright <laughs> yep. like a kid in a candy store the whole oh, time we totally were talking.
0: <laughs> he threw out like yeah, totally. Lamont! <laughs> so. What we really needed was that meme of Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> right. the, the listening audience can't see me but i was yeah. with my, with yeah, my yeah. It was in a in one hand exactly yeah, yeah. i know right. that one
5: i Are understood that reference, reference? Yeah,
0: i probably. can see my house from here <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right mr miller
0: all right so in reading through your work one of the things that really stuck out to me and maybe because i was reading more of your cleric based combinations to begin with but I was really get getting a look at getting a feel for some of the cosmologies and the way you put those together and the way you described the deities and the divine beings. Some were just power sources. If I'm, I'm trying to remember the phrase, but you had one that was a being of non-divine power that can still provide power. Something to that effect. I might have messed that up. <laughs> but it's... It, very evocative descriptions of these extraordinary entities. And I guess my question is what are some of the inspirations for that part of your lore? Like when you get in, when you dig in to building that cosmology, it was deep. There was some serious pathos to it, I think is probably the best way to phrase that. Where, where does your inspiration come for those things? Is it kind of all over the place? Or is there a specific bent that you're kind of like really lean into when you're talking about those? ones?
5: Sure. As a kid, I had those Dallaire's books, the mythology books. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you know the ones I'm talking about.
0: I do,
2: yeah.
5: And those are definitely where it started, I think. Those books have just incredible illustrations. They have really wonderful depictions of those different (laughs) myths. But I think... If I'm totally honest, I'm probably, even though I write a lot of fantasy, I don't read a lot of fantasy. I try to be really diversely read in terms of time periods, cultures, different kinds of gender identity, whatever. Try and just get as much in my head as possible to better understand like people. And when I think of the deities, and what they might represent in Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know. I am more aligned with the way the Greek gods seem to be depicted, which is that they're these imperfect beings who happen to have immense amounts of power. And so when I start thinking of deities, I'm actually thinking of people, and then trying to blow those up into deific proportions. I'm trying to think of which deity it was that you're referring to. It might be the deity I created for the the rogue clerics, Atollifer, who was a deity who doesn't want to be a deity. And he resents the fact that he has to be a deity and people are praying to him all the time. And he also resents the fact that there's this grand cosmic conflict that he really wants nothing to do with the the devils versus angels things he's you're all being a bunch of manipulative jerks about this when it comes to the mortals i really just leave me out so it, it could be that one and for him i mean there are a lot of literary analogs to that kind of character i think maybe odysseus right yeah. being called to the being called to the war and then trying to get out of it Because he doesn't, it's like, what's this got to do with me? Why do I need to go to Troy? Yeah. So I'm thinking of like people and then just making them very big.
0: (laughs) Even Shades of Prometheus, who basically said to his comrades and his fellow Titans at the time that like, what you're doing to these mortals is not worth it. I'm here. I'm going to help them anyway. He paid for it. (laughs) <laughs> but but uh, no good deed goes unpunished, but there are shades of that in that type of character content. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Greek mythology. Mythologies, plural, in general, from all over. Everything from the Greeks, the shit slight changes in the roman mythos i am by no means as well studied in egyptian lore or hindi culture and their their deities as well but i'm intrigued by the story whenever you get a story whether it be a parable or whatever i love those i dig into those individual ones here or there and i see the analogs in other mythologies and there's similar stories transcend cultures and so um Thank you for that answer.
2: Yeah, Yeah, sure. And I I really love the concept of that god in particular with the reluctant kind of god archetype. It is, it's, uh, that concept is similar to ways that I've played with deities in my homebrew games where deities are beings or people that have followers and that's really the extent of the definition so there can be deities who rise as they gain more followers and deities who fall when they lose followers and that kind of controls the amount of power and the amount of influence that they can have over the world it's kind of of that kind of eats its own tail a deity that has a lot of followers has a lot of power so it has a lot of followers has a lot of power kind of thing and so that's very cool with the whole reluctant god archetype and who is getting followers but doesn't really want them in the first place and so I don't how do I get out (laughs) of this And I kind of can't, because it's kind of eating its own tail at
4: this point. It reminded me of Ul from the Belgariad. I don't know if mm. anybody else has read David Eddings. But of all of the people in the, this fictional world, each of the peoples had their own god who represented them, except for who eventually, the people who eventually become known as the Olgo, And they had no god. So they yeah. hunted down the father of the gods. His name was Ul. And they camped out on his doorstep and refused to go away until he said yes. And it was my favorite origin story for that piece of the world but
3: yeah all
2: right so for my next question I wanted to get into I want to get a little bit deeper into the why you're doing what you're doing and how you chose the way to go ahead and do so I want to take the model from there's the fantastic book the monsters know what they're doing that also began as a series of blog posts just detailing individual monsters and what their tactics would be before it was eventually put into a full scope book and listening to you talk earlier about how how you came into this about how it was COVID and you wanted to go ahead and you started to Looking at the TTRPG sphere and how how homebrewing and indie content creators are, I don't want to say rewarded necessarily, but are, are promoted and talked about and favored and everybody loves indie creators. I wanted to get your thoughts on when you came into this, why, you've already talked about like why you did a blog in the first place, but I guess, I guess I'm kind of looking for like the non-binding answer. Is the blog like the pinnacle form for this work or do you have your site set on the on bigger work? Are they going to be put together into a book or are you looking to go ahead and do a bigger project or is this kind of always where you see the lane that it's going to fall in because it's the, your preferred form?
5: Yeah, the hope is definitely to turn the blog posts into published material for sale and it started as a blog because i was having in my head like i want to publish but i don't really know where to start (laughs) so there's that element but i think the more i wrote the more i began to realize that is a pretty pretty big project once i went down to hey let's try and make supplements and so the blog is just a way for me to keep writing And to keep a little bit of spotlight going, because otherwise I know I'd just be sitting back at home, typing away at these supplements and maybe it gets done, maybe not. But having a blog where it's all right, here's the next week definitely helps keep things moving forward a little bit while also breaking down that bigger picture project. So, yeah, I think the blog I view more as a stepping stone towards bigger projects for sure
2: cool excellent we are definitely i know i'm for sure looking forward to that and i hope that uh, when that bigger project comes about you remember us please come back and talk about your next project because obviously we're big fans already hey there travelers do you want early access to all of our episodes how about exclusive content live broadcasts and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans you can do all that by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys But wait, there's more For the next month, you can get a free coffee mug for signing up at the Adventurer level Plus, Adventurer level Patreons automatically get complimentary copies of our latest book The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse available on DMs Guild We love doing this show for y'all and your support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you we have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, so join us today at www.patreon.com slash Round Three is flying right by. Oh, dun, yeah. Dun, dun. Fifteen
4: and six, so I got a fifteen. All right, I got a fourteen. And
0: I
2: got a eighteen. Ooh, all right. Ooh. All right. So, Lou and Nico, you get the first question. I get last again. <laughs> With a fourteen, yeah.
0: so Josh sniped my question because that was actually uh, <laughs> you welcome. My question, welcome. yeah, right
4: off the second, the third. Once you get past the second round, it's always you it's know like- a crapshoot because we scoop each other constantly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: So I guess I'm going to talk more about, you mentioned the ones that you've had some challenges for. So you have the list that you've already done. How many more do you have left? And what are the, say, maybe the next two or three you have in mind? Damn it. You scoop me? (laughs) I scoop you. (laughs) It's like Baskin and Robbins up in this place. Yeah, playing Soprano rules now
5: yeah yeah sorry adam carry on <laughs> nope. no problem so there are i always have to double check i think there are 73 unique pairs there's 13 classes and i'm not doing obviously like artificer artificers i'm like no i've got 45 written right now so coming on up towards the last third of it for the blog the uh, the backlog, currently, I'm going to be going through the remaining druid pairs. So I've been going alphabetically, basically, starting with artificer barbarians and then going through all the artificers, then finishing the barbarians and finishing the bards. So we'll be going into the remainder of the druid column next. So, you know, druid fighters, druid monks, and druid paladins are in the backlog right now. And then I have two two supplements written for the Artificer Barbarians, the Ars Bellica faction, and the Artificer Bards, the Cirque Technique faction. I'm currently working through the third supplement, the Artificer Clerics, our Calches Univis, and they're almost done. There's some things I'm I'm trying to puzzle through for stuff to give them. I'm I'm looking forward honestly to to putting that one to rest <laughs> and moving on to the next one. It's been a bit of a a bit of a grumpy one to work through. But uh.
0: I love that phrase. It's been a bit of a grumpy one to work through
4: I loved the paladin druid concept. As soon as you said it, my mind sparked some ideas. So I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up for yeah. that one.
0: Yeah. yeah, we talk a lot about the challenges of some things when you make a decision. Even our Kickstarter project, we had originally not envisioned doing all 12. But once we got past the ones that we wanted to do and got about initially wanted to do, we wanted to do all of them. But uh, once we got to pass the initial, uh, the initial outlay and we're like, that's not a really even number. We got another one in there. We're like, once we've done this many, it seems foolish not to do all of them. And then in that process, a couple of them ended up being a bit harder to come up with than we might have originally thought, because it's like, okay, so we're doing this because we've agreed this is what we're going to do, and we're going to find something that has some sauce to it, but the inspiration was not as immediate, so let's say. And a bit of a grumpy one really (laughs) does that well.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how, like, all the classes seem pretty straightforward when you read through them, but when you really start thinking about them and try, especially when you start trying to go ahead and take uh, take new narrative twists on them or new mechanical twists or anything like that, that they really, there's some gotchas in there that you really got to be careful of. I think about, like, when we were doing the Paladins and working with the uh, the Channel Divinity stuff. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, wait, no, this is actually, this is even more complicated than we thought that it was when we reviewed them on the show. There's actually, there's some stuff in here. Yeah. yeah. All right, Glenn.
4: Ooh, ooh it's my turn.
1: It's your
2: turn. Yeah, I know. you don't have to go yeah. first
4: this time. I was pretty sure nobody would scoop me on this one. I saved this for my last question because I think it's going to be my favorite. I'm going to step away from your mashups for a minute and talk about one of your other projects called Beginning Tales, a demo by Adam Eason. And I choose this because I've already downloaded it, by the way, and I don't have, I have not had time to start, I did this just a few minutes ago, but I have not had time to start very far through it yet. But just going through your table of contents and the initial concept, it pairs so perfectly with a concept that I've been working on for a while. And I love, love, love that your concept of helping create the backstory and link your players together is through a level zero encounter or highlighting some piece of their past. This is something that I do all the time. I actually just am currently finishing up tomorrow night. We'll be doing the wrap up of the session zero session that has the level zero encounter, which is that in this instance, it's written as the catalyst or the turning point in their lives that sets them on the direction of where the campaign's gonna go one day. But then the actual first session will be like two years in the future, and there'll be another session of working together on background and how they know each other and stuff. Anyway, all of that made me look at this and say, oh, ah! so. <laughs> Talk to me about... Oh, my my concept, by the way, is one day I want to start putting out... I've talked about this on the show before, so if somebody out there scoops me, I'll be mad. (laughs) But putting out modules that are designed to help you start a campaign and bring people together called Legendary Origins that include some basic information, a starting adventure, and then some chunks about where you could go from here as you blew this up. So talk to me about beginning tales into to our audience about it. This is a, currently a free demo on your site as you're continuing to work with it and play test it. So I think it's fantastic and I'm looking forward to the finished product. What's it all about?
5: Yeah. So fair warning is pretty rough and ready as far as the writing goes. Now that you bring it up again, I'm like, well, I need to go back and revise that thing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um, we, we all know that pain so well. Yeah, every time but, I read, we, we did a book on collaborative world building and every time I read it, I'm like, oh God.
5: But at the same time, it is a demo. So I guess you you get what you pay for. True story. (laughs) The, excuse me. Yes. So the concept was instead of going through character creations with pick your race and then pick your class and then choose all your things. It would literally just start with stats and then race or ancestry, depending on what you prefer.
4: We're big fans of ancestry.
5: Love it. Ancestry? Absolutely. Yeah. And so you have your ancestry, you have your stats, and then you figure out like your your upbringing. So the first is divided into phases. The first phase is literally just a couple of skill rolls that you make as a child. And the hope would be that they'd be tied in narratively with whatever your upbringing is. So you'd come up with a little scenario with the dungeon master, with the game master, and then react to the scenario as it unfolds with some skill rolls. And so I think there are three phases total, if I remember rightly. And so the skills that you roll in these narratives will start to build the skills that your character has expertise with or proficiency with. And I wanted the skills to grow organically out of the experience these characters have growing up. So yeah, first phase is childhood, and you do a couple of skill roles with something related to your family situation, or maybe you're an orphan in an orphanage or whatever, and then go on to adolescence and start to seed some of the story f- that you have as your own character, but also whatever overlaps might come in from other characters. So if any other characters know each other, you start to build in them for their own kind of scenarios as well. And so you're rolling these skill checks to build up the skills and get a sense then of what kind of direction the characters might take for a class. Like, how did they end up in this particular class and not a different one and and then finally you introduce some kind of crisis for the character that really focuses them in terms of where they're going what their motivations are and hopefully by the end of it the idea is you've either gotten your enough skill proficiencies to have a character basically and then all you have to do is choose a class and obviously there's going to be a mismatch to between the skills that are developed over time and whatever class they, they choose. But I'm personally fine with that. I think that's actually really interesting p- because people just have random skills, <laughs> right? That you just wouldn't expect when you meet, when you meet them in their, in their job, in their class, whatever they've got. So that's the intent is to role play out the character's backstory and build it organically through, it. obviously it would require some amount of improvisation but I think the next step returning to it would be how to help give more structure to people who aren't as comfortable with the improv side of it.
2: That's a really great way to do that Very because cool. like, that's that's one thing that Glenn and I We've talked about a lot because I tend to run a lot of improv and a lot of collaborative world building and stuff like that. And one thing that that Glenn, you very astutely continue to remind me of is that not everybody wants to do that. So or everyone not everyone feels that they're good at that or something like that. Or is even
4: comfortable doing it. I have some players where if you gave them one of your collaborative world building questions, you'd get the deer in the headlights.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that seems like a really elegant way to bring them into the fold without making it oppressive or heavy and stuff like that. That's really intriguing. I like that.
4: And don't get me wrong. I love collaborative world building. (laughs) uh, Featuring hugely in the AP that we're currently recording. It's going to be an ongoing playtest of the one D&D UAs as they come out. But with some of my own games, I just know I've got a few people. That's just not their wheelhouse, man. They want to tell you that their character does this and do their thing. And they're going to have a great time, but that's just not what they do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Uh, What I really liked about that, and I wish I had stumbled across that in my reading of your work, because I would have latched onto that for sure. I'm a big fan of backstory. Like one of the greatest things that I think 3rd edition did, 3.5 did was... They had a small th- – really. it was relatively thin. It was probably one of their smallest flatbooks, but it had the origins. And it basically had a bunch of tables that you could either roll or choose from that your early childhood, your younger childhood, your or pre-teens, teens. I think it was cyber. Uh, that too. So that was the D&D version, but the first one I had was Mecton. Oh, was that's a-
4: right. Mecton.
0: It was Mech Time, and they took it to a whole nother level, which the 3.5 actually borrowed from, I think, which is basically they had life paths. So you had yes, all these That's years. the one I was thinking of. Yeah, they had all these roles, and it was like you basically rolled to see how many years of backstory you were going to be working with. Yeah. And then you had roles on the table that this was the catalyst event that took place during this year of your. Backstory. And then it could be a financial windfall. It could be a great teacher or whatever. And with each of these things, there might be a huge, or it might be a huge, the opposite of a financial windfall. It could have been a devastation of some kind, the loss of a parent or a loved one. And then eat many of those things, not all of them, but many of those tables had things that impacted your character. You got a new skill that you wouldn't otherwise have if you had a teacher. You had extra resources to bring to bear, or you had a connection with the group, and that might be a faction that you start the game with, and all of those things. And I think Nectun did it best, but obviously that was built for big giant robots in a anime kind of world versus the three five version of it. Heroes and allies, or something to that effect, uh, I forget now. But they did a similar thing where they had their version of life path. And so, I've taken to doing a mix of that. And generally, when I build a character, I take out those books. I do that for my own backstory, pick out the pieces that I want, erase two or three years, and I give them to a storyteller and say, you fill them this year, whatever <laughs> you want. Or I will leave certain names blank. This is going to be an enemy. Something happened. Here's my thought on it, but you tell me what you want it to be. So, they can build it into their story. So, I love anything that does that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Sweet. Okay. Cool. So I guess I've got the last question here in round three, and I am going to it's going to be a little bit of an awful off-the-wall question. It is a variation on a question that we ask lots of different people that come on the show to go ahead and give interviews. So I, it's going to take a little bit of thinking. And so normally the question that we ask is, pick one IP in the entirety of the geek world that, that somebody came to you and said, I'm going to give you as much money as you want to write the RPG supplement for this IP. What is it? But unfortunately, Adam, you don't get that question. The question that you get instead, and I'm going to give you a choice here pick a musician any musician and either say that somebody has come to you given as much money as you want said write a role-playing game about this musician and what would it be like or which of your combination which of your non-barred combination classes would they fit into and i'll even let you pick the musician
4: to be fair we did actually play test a role-playing game based on faith no more's album the real thing so this is relevant too
2: yeah yeah Oh. It's a killer question. Take your time. That's a heavy one. Brutal, yeah.
5: Okay. If I had to pick one musician, oh, gosh. I would probably, for the purposes of an RPG, I would probably go with Josephine Baker. So a lot of people, if they know her at all, probably only know her for the banana dress thing. But- and I'm double checking to make sure my memory is right on this. <laughs> yeah, she did act as a part of the French resistance in World War II. And she won the resistance medal and was inducted into the Legion of Honor by Charles de Gaulle and just an absolutely extraordinary life story that, that she had. And I think that idea of was rather more common than you might expect that musicians end up being either spies or having undercover political operations. I think that kind of story would be really, I was about to say interesting to tell, but important to tell because it's very easy To think of the arts, to think of music as its entertainment, which is true, but there's way more to it. (laughs) Right. And when things go, when things go squirrely with political situations, artists are very quickly find themselves in the crosshairs. And those kinds of stories of how artists would navigate those kinds of very dicey political situations, I think is something that could use more light and it would be compelling, I think, to explore that through a role-playing Uh, perspective as opposed to just reading it in a book.
2: That would be so fascinating. You're right. Because Josephine Baker was huge in like the civil rights movement. There's so many different kind of aspects to her life that would be talking World War II era. So it's a fabulous point in history when so much is going on like throughout the world and everything like that. That's a great she, answer. It, it, <laughs> That's a
4: fantastic answer. It didn't just sound compelling; it sounded yeah, like yeah. fun to get into yeah. that kind of suspenseful, intrigue-laden game for yeah. that type of world. That could be a blast to yeah. to play and experience and explore.
3: Yeah,
0: that that, that kind of war, that kind of game is my bread and butter. And jo- Josephine Baker of Memory serves, she is one of those qualities in modern history that just had three or four separate acts of in her life. That were worthy of a separate film in and of themselves, let alone like any one film would fail miserably because it could not (laughs) capture all that was her and all that she encompassed.
5: Yeah. And thinking of it from a Dungeons and Dragons perspective as well, I know the bards get a little bit of a rough treatment, but I wonder how much of that is because a lot of the stories that are told through Dungeons and Dragons, these kind of very high fantasy, very kind of combat oriented fight dragons sort of thing, the bard class doesn't necessarily fit that story very well. And when you look at, oh, they get just like a whole slew of skills, they're very good at a whole bunch of different things, but not excellent at any one thing. What story would that fit into? An intrigue story right? Yeah. Something where maybe there's combat, but it's much more low key and something where it is much more role play focused. Yeah. And,
4: and I mean, like- the closest you've gotten from five V so far is College of Whispers, but it does speak to the concept of how people with all of these different skill sets and the International language of music to grease the wheels could really get into those intrigue and spy type
0: things. Yep. To take it to another tabletop, uh, another a uh, type of RPG though. Live action is where I did it. If had Josh asked me that question, I would have definitely gone Robert Johnston, the blues musician, and I would have s- said Vampire the Masquerade. <laughs> oh, you why could have I picked so many blues <laughs>
4: musicians and bands and come up with great games for that. Anything from the oh, yeah, yeah. Beer, yeah.
0: yeah, but uh, specifically the reason why I mentioned Robert johnson and Vampire the Masquerade is because my most prominent LARP character that I ever played and my favorite LARP character, one of my top five role-playing characters of all time is quentin marcus who i basically stole like full-on stole the robert johnson story he went to the crossroads made a deal except it wasn't with the devil it was with a toreador and so he uh, it was then embraced and became a vampire and and it like lived through the years it would get older he would die there'd be somebody else who would cover his music and that kind of thing and like people would be amazed at how his skills and he was basically this feast visit blues musician in new orleans built this entire empire of music it's called bumping the night records and the whole but it was just like i just love feeding into that story and that was a fantastic character to play i had great other role players that i got to play it in because again it was a, at some point over a hundred different people interacted with this character he even became npcs in games that i ran because i just love the character so much and actually factors into a tabletop game that i've run for our patrons not too long ago as well yeah <laughs> love yeah. that question just mark that <laughs> yeah. down we should ask that
2: question. it takes a very special interviewee to go ahead and right. be able to ask that question so yeah right. without Fair the enough. musical
4: background you couldn't get quite that specific yeah. on that question yeah. but that yeah. was that was Fair great enough,
2: i love that question and i love to
4: personalize interview. it yeah
2: all right i think we are up to our lightning round gentlemen and t20s to the ready for short questions let's see if i can maybe hopefully get first here
4: see I thought we ran long enough. We weren't doing a lightning round. I put my D20 away. Hang on. See,
2: I'm unpredictable, Glenn. You can never count. And there's going to be a sizable amount of I had to go to the bathroom and stuff. Like, yeah.
0: Unlikely you're going last.
2: Yeah. I, uh, I got an eight. So it's- Five. I got a two. <laughs> How
4: Took about it with an eight.
2: <laughs> How about them apples? All right. So I'm going to go ahead and pick the really easy lightning round question, Adam. Where can our listeners find hey, that's got to be the stuff? last
4: one. Cheater.
2: Too late. Yeah. Where can our <laughs> listeners find your stuff? Where can they interact with you? What's the best way to go ahead and get in contact with you and read the great content that you're putting out?
5: Okay. Yeah. So the blog, currently I'm doing that on koficom slash T dungeon. It was originally supposed to be the, and I made a typo and decided it's gotten out there already. <laughs> I'm not going to go back yeah. and change it now. My Twitter handle, assuming Twitter survives, same thing, just at T Dungeon. And then the new one I'm trying out, Mastodon, I'm same handle at T Dungeonator on Mastodon as well.
0: Okay. Great. Not part of the lightning round, but my understanding is Mastodon has multiple servers. Which server are you on Mastodon, by the
5: way? I am on dice.camp. Dice.camp? Yeah. That's the one that I've been looking into. Yep. Yep. Okay. okay. I we figured. We're Thank you, Twitter
4: Alternates.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're not a political entity, but Twitter is both our marketplace and our space <laughs> to talk with fellow creators. As things get changed, we need to make sure there's a place where we can all go. As Adam said, artists are generally first on first in line when things go wrong, yeah. and we know a whole lot of artists on that platform. So finding yeah. out where we're all going is where we want to go.
4: Exactly. <laughs> that makes solid sense. That makes. All right, solid Mr. Myers.
0: Sense. Lightning
2: round.
4: <laughs> okay, so my lightning round question, Adam, is I know you do a commissions in lore writing for other people's worlds. So I imagine you've played around in a few. What is the most interesting setting you've written for that's not your
5: own? And a little bit about it. There's so far only been the one real commission I've had so far, which is for the world of Xyathay. And this is done, published by GUI Cube and their leader and director goes by the handle alphinius goo they it's definitely on the dark fantasy side would probably want to put some content warnings on some of the stuff that gets into that world but it's definitely it's huge already i think there are three three books that they have setting books the first one's probably like 150 pages then they're and it's a general overview, but the one that I contributed to was for just half of a continent East for Destia, and it's like 400 pages of material. So it's, wow. it's huge. And then they have the other half, uh, a book for the other half of the continent as well. It's got a full pantheon. I think something like eight gods for each part of the alignment box, lawful, chaotic evil good they approach the the pantheon slightly differently where there's the expectation that the general population actually does pay obeisance to all of the gods at least some of the time depending on how their lives are going so even though there are evil gods it's a little bit more a little bit more gray like how they interact with the world and, and what goes on with that And then they have a huge overarching story, post-apocalyptic, magic was sundered, classical fantasy idea. And it's just a very evocative world that they're building on over there.
0: Sounds fascinating. I might have to check them out.
2: All right, Mr. Miller, bring us
0: home. I had six questions. Three (laughs) of them got snaked through this browser. You cited... The artists that you've used, which is always appreciated when content creators are out there celebrating other content creators and giving due notice. Something noticed and appreciated, but a very, very emotional artwork that went with each of these combinations that you've put together. Did you see a picture? write the class or write the class and go look for pictures or is it some combination thereof what's your art direction process and how do you think that'll feed into the eventual finished product on the back end of the second third that you're working through
5: yeah sure the so far the class has always come first and then i start digging around public domain art classical art to try and find something that fits the idea well it's I don't know. It sometimes can be a process. Sometimes I just think of some search terms and I something pops up. and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's fantastic. Fits what the faction was doing. Other times I have to dig around a bit. But usually I'm looking for things that are, like you said, very they have a strong impact emotionally. Exactly, yeah, they're evocative in some way. Again, I think that ties into just how I approach writing in general, right? I don't wanna just, I'm not aiming to write just here's a faction and here are like the little dials and knobs that you use for the game. It's here's the faction and here's how they feel, is the aim. And hopefully that comes across. And the art in the future, I'm not sure. Right now, I'm using Kofi to help raise funds to commission art for NPCs. One of those commissions is getting finished as we speak, and hopefully you'll be seeing him on my socials in the near future. Um, But whether that other public domain art will make it into the final product, I'm not sure. I don't personally have a problem with it, but it would be neat to support artists and give other artists the opportunity to get work through that yeah
2: i love that you use classical art for for the project that you've been doing so far i was like you had like prints by rodin and stuff like that so you like high quality like abstract impressionist stuff like it's really really cool to see because you don't see that sort of art presence in the ttrpg space a lot like we i think that we try to do very good by our artists right and support artists that are out there creating art specifically for the fantasy space and specifically for the ttrpg space but i like this twist on it because this is just not something that you see a lot of and i think that your project is probably uniquely suited to using this kind of stuff too because where you're again you're doing ha- heavily narrative stuff and again with the cross class stuff that you're doing and everything like that being able to find the right piece of art to go with with that kind of combination with the feeling of the factions that you're doing and everything I think that you're you're probably pretty uniquely positioned for that and I, I love it I think it's a fantastic choice on your part so sweet thanks cool oh I think I think with that we are done for the evening Adam thank you so very much for coming on the show we really appreciate you taking some time tonight to go ahead and sit down and talk with us this was fantastic
5: yeah of course what a great conversation. conversation. Yeah, I appreciate it.
0: Thoroughly enjoyed it and really look forward to reading a lot more and uh, definitely digging into that uh, backstory piece and bring, finding new ways to build, bring parties together.
5: Yeah, sure. I'd (laughs) be curious to hear what y'all think. Yeah, absolutely, yeah.
4: Yeah, no, definitely yeah. And stuff and I'm, yeah. I will give you my feedback, I promise, on <laughs> beginning tales, because I'm not certain that I would break it down completely to the level that you did, but I'm very, very excited to pick through the brains of somebody else who likes to start there and we're yeah,
2: yeah, 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 definitely. So let's see here. If you are listening right now, uh, I am already on paternity leave because I've, by this point, I'm sure by the point that this episode airs, uh, Jenny will have had the baby. Um, happy new baby, Josh. Happy new baby, exactly right. Probably within the last couple of weeks. We're taking a little bit of a recording break here at the end of the year, but uh, we will be back in January for sure to go ahead and uh, start bringing up new content. We have a lot, of, a lot of interesting episodes. We are starting to put together uh, interviews for February and March. Looking forward to go ahead and bringing those. Uh, but Adam, uh, fantastic job once again. Thank you so very much for coming on here. We really appreciate you taking the time
0: yeah thank you and for the audience just because we're taking a recording break doesn't mean you get has-been content we actually have been Working really hard through the months of October <laughs> and November to get ahead mm-hmm. of the game. So that's
4: how uh, Tuesday yeah. subtly, subt- subtly <laughs> exactly. became a regular recording day. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of <bloopers>. Yes, <Yeah>,
5: exactly.
2: <laughs> right? suddenly, and, suddenly and subtly, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah but, so we've got new content throughout this whole month, or we've had it throughout the month, and we'll have it for yeah. the next couple of weeks while we wrap up our holiday break.
2: Exactly. You haven't even noticed that we were gone. See, so you didn't even know that we were gone until I mentioned it. So there you go. So anyway, thank you everybody for uh, for what has been a fantastic year again on the channel. We'll talk more about that in the new year after all the uh, all the dust settles on 2022. But yeah, until then, we'll talk to you again next week. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you later.
0: Night. Good night, Good night all. Night.
2: Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast.
1: You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash journeys Check it out today and see all
0: the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for Legends a week.